What's up, guys? Thanks for listening in to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Curtis. Kurt, how's that bracket doing, man? Busted yet? Uh, I mean, it's not faring well, but it's not completely. But at this point, I mean, whose bracket is faring well? I defy someone to say my bracket is faring well. Maybe your bracket is faring better than other people's, but I don't think anyone right now. Actually, but this term hasn't had that much madness, you know what I mean? Like, there hasn't been, like, that crazy huge upset. I guess you could say Wisconsin over Nova, but I mean that's that's within the realm of reason. Like eight, Wisconsin was an eight seed, but they had a pretty solid year, pretty solid program there. So you haven't had that crazy upset. There's been a few. I mean, Xavier kind of killed me a little bit yesterday. Uh, Florida State, man, like, dude, oh my god, man, Florida State. I knew not to go with Florida State. I knew not to go with them. Didn't trust my gut. I have this. I'm going. I have my bracket pool plus a knockout pool. And with a knockout point, basically you just pick one team a day. And I picked Florida State trying to preserve the one seeds, those higher seeds. Went Florida State against every gut instinct I had and screwed myself over like an idiot. So, yeah. Anyway, so I'm pretty much screwed. Like, pretty, I'm sure most of you guys out there. Hopefully everyone's faring better than I am. Um, all right. Well, today on the show, we have a mixed bag of topics for you. Uh, right now, people are kind of starting to wring their hands uh, over the – I guess you could say a relatively slow start to the 2018 recruiting class. We've got two commitments on board right now in Adam Anderson and Donovan Georges. I don't know how you say his name. George, I'm going to go with that. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting. We're going to touch on the AJC revelation that Tracy Rocker was indeed fired. Um, and we're also going to touch on our struggling baseball program right now. So a couple things up our sleeves today. We'll get, I'll t- get to all that in just a second. But before we do get there... We do want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, where we encourage you to share your thoughts and interact with us. You can also email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, guys, at the end of the month, I mean, it's rapidly approaching. So next week, we'll be, uh, we will be recording the March Listener Mailbag edition of this show. So make sure to be, uh, be sending in any and all questions you have. I mean, football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, really anything at all, doesn't matter. If you got questions, we want to make sure that we do our part to answer them. So uh, some of you have already been sending in some really great questions, but keep hitting us up with those. Uh, we do also remind you that you can find us on a variety of podcasting platforms now, including iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. Uh, each and every one of our shows is going to be uploaded upload to all of those platforms. Really what we're trying to do is just kind of make an effort to help us make the show as easy as possible for all of you out there to access. So if you like the show and want more of it, please uh, help us spread the word in any way that you can. A word of mouth, you can subscribe to the show, review the show on iTunes, any and everything helps us out. So uh, we definitely appreciate all the support you guys give us. All right, Kurt, uh, let's get into uh, some football talk here. Let's start with a little recruiting conversation. Uh, I don't know uh, if you saw this, did you see the Justin Maskell news? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so with Justin Maskell, in case those of you out there listening did not catch it, uh, this is a pass rusher from South Gwinnett, the number 86 overall ranked prospect in 247 composite ratings. He committed to Clemson over the weekend, and you know, c- couple that with the loss, the recent loss of Max Ray, a guy that we've had committed for over a year now, and now he's opened up his commitment. Looks like we're not really going to be a factor in that. Who knows? We'll see how that plays out. And then you also got the fact that Trevor Lawrence is already committed to Clemson, an in-state guy who is the number one overall prospect in all of America. And is a guy who projects to be one of those transcendent type talents at the quarterback position. There's a lot of folks out there, since we've only got two commitments and we're losing some of the higher profile prospects that we've been after, 
a lot of guys out there are starting to kind of freak out a little bit over the state of this 2018 recruiting class. So, Kurt, the first question I have for you here is just pretty simple. Is any of that hand-wringing over this 2018 class, is any of that really justified in your view at this point? Um, You know, I, I get the uneasy feeling because, I, I mean, we started really hot last year, and I think people are, you know, wondering what's going on. But did um, we start, though? I mean, we had, at this time last year, I believe we had, I think it was like six commitments, and two of those didn't end up signing with us. You know, we, we well, it, I think Breon Dixon, just, I, Xavier Jenkins, they ended up signing with us. I mean, yeah, we had Richard LeCount, we had Jake Fromm, we had uh, Justin Schaefer. But the floodgates for the 2017 class didn't really open until the summer through the early part of the fall when we started to land guys like DeAndre Swift, Andrew Thomas, Mark Webb. I think he committed like the middle of September. Notori Johnson, he was a little bit before the summer, like in late April. Uh, you got William Poole and then Robert Beal in June. So the floodgates started to open up in the summer, and then there was a lull there until the end of the season when you get guys like Jeremiah Holloman, Willie Carrying make their famous uh, video for Dog Nation. Uh, then Isaiah Wilson, the big fish that we ended up landing after the season. And, of course, Nate McBride on Christmas Day. So it's really those two periods, like the summer through the early part of the fall and then after the season in December. That's Those are the two periods that the floodgates really open for this class. But sitting here, sitting in the middle of March in 2016, this time last year, our class didn't look fantastic. Our class didn't look like it was going to end up being a top three overall class. I mean, we were killing it at this point last year. Well, yeah, year. But, to, but to me, it comes down to the two players you named and LeCount and Fromm because they just brought some excitement. You saw LeCount always, you know, I mean, everyone knows the type of recruiter he was as, as a commit himself. And, you know, they just created a little bit more energy. You know, it was also the new factor of Kirby being there. So people were, you know, it was a lot of him getting in contact with people. So you weren't sure what was going to unfold. Um, but, you know, the, I think there's a couple factors actually going into this. You know, I get the uneasy feeling, but I think one thing that people have to understand is we don't have that many spots open for this class. So we have to be very, very selective in who we take because even if we don't fill up this class completely, because I don't know if Kirby will even want to use all the scholarships available because 19 has a lot loaded. more talent. Yeah, I mean, where the in-state crop this year is it, we're always going to have a good in-state crop no matter what, but relative to what it was last year and what we have coming up in 2019, it's a it's somewhat of a down. It's not as deep. There's there's some headliners. You got when you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who's the number one player in the country, and you've got a couple of other elite quarterbacks and Justin Fields and Emory um, Jones. Yeah, Emory Jones. You've got a couple of elite guys there. You know that that's great, but the depth through this class isn't there like it was last year and like it looks to be in 2019. And so you couple that with the fact that. We don't have as many spots to give out this year. We're probably looking between 22 to 24, maybe, depending on attrition and how things go with the roster. Uh, so you're right. I think we do have to be a little more selective, and we're also having we're probably going to have to go out of state for a couple key positions, particularly the defensive line. Again, uh, it's, a down, it's another down in-state year, the defensive line, the interior defensive line. Actually, the pass rushers are plentiful in this class um, with the in-state crop. But interior defensive linemen, not as great wide receivers. We've got a solid group and nothing that's going to blow your mind where we had some of those last year. So have you been freaking out at all? Are you one of those guys? Am I, am I talking about you when, when I'm mentioning people wringing their hands over our class right now? Not at all. I think really time will tell with this class. I mean, you know, I think at a little bit last year also with recruiting, you know, you had a lot of the energy around Kirby, at the, his, for his his new hire and stuff. I think now some guys are, you know, really want to see what happens on the field and not only to see what happens on the field, you got to see what some of these other young guys are going to do. I mean, look at Max Ray. He's one of those that says he wants to get to the pros. Well, there's not there wasn't a huge chance of him 
from the outside looking in right now for him to start right away or get some early reps. So I think they also some people also want to see what these young kids are going to do to see if there's opportunities for, for them to play earlier or do they need to try to look somewhere else. I also want to – that's true. I want to ask you this question too. So last year with the 2017 recruiting class, obviously Kirby's first full recruiting class – he had opportunity to sell a lot of playing time, get the excitement of, of a new coach and, and a new staff coming in trying to build a program up from scratch. Well, I shouldn't say up from scratch, but just get the program over the hump, basically, to take that next step and start competing for championships again. Are, is part of the, the slow start here the fact that it, we're having a little bit more trouble selling that in year two of the Kirby Smart era here with his second full recruiting class? you think that's playing into this at all? You know, I think it is. I mean, we filled a lot of our needs that we had open last year um, in this past recruiting class. And I think right now we're trying to zero in on more of what we want because, like I said, we have to be a lot more selective. And being more selective causes us to have to, you know, honestly vet everyone and make sure we're not just – I mean, we have a, quite a few offers out. The people, people don't understand that we actually have quite a few offers out, but at the same time, we're not just throwing off a lot of – you know, you actually have to wonder how, how many of these offers are committable at the same time. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think you're right in saying that we we filled a lot of needs last year, particularly on the offensive line. Thinking about that, at, at receiver, we filled those needs. So when you sign six offensive linemen, most of them highly recruited guys, really highly rated prospects – it's harder to sell that playing time because there's no class separation. So a guy like Max Ray, look, we can't get inside Max Ray's head. We don't know exactly what he's thinking. But you have to think the volume that we signed last year at, at that position and the quality of guy that we signed at that position last year, that had to factor in at least to some degree with his decision. So it does make the job to sell the program a little bit more difficult. You, you don't have play, immediate playing time to sell at every position. Now, there's a couple positions where you have that available. You can still sell it at, at DB to a degree. Um, inside linebacker, you can probably start selling that a little bit because we've got two guys that, could, if they have good years, could potentially think about you know dipping their toe into NFL draft waters and kind of testing it there and seeing what happens. So, uh, there, and, and obviously, pass rusher, we have we have a major need there. But some of those positions, offensive line in particular, wide receiver, it's harder to sell playing time when we just signed elite groups of players at those positions in this 2017 class. So I think that's complicating matters to a degree. Um, but I'd also caution people, guys, it is, it is March. It is the middle of March. All right. There is a long way to go. One thing that I've learned since I've been following recruiting for over the past decade, following it very closely is recruiting guys. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. All right. Where you are right now really has no bearing ultimately on where you land, where we're ranked right now as a class that has absolutely no bearing on where we're going to end up because there is plenty of of time to go after and land the prospects that we're that we want and think about the guys that we lead for right now we don't have them in the fold per se but right now lead for the number one running back in the country in Zamir White of North Carolina you know that's that if we end up landing him all of a sudden our ranking they skyrocket you know if you land some of the receivers that we're after Kyrus Jackson some of those guys if we land some of the passers we're after Britton Cox you know our rankings can go up really quickly and like right now, you've got. I mean, you also, you also think you also got the offensive lineman and Trey Hill and um, and Jamari Salyer. I mean, those two guys are, you know, have we have a very yeah. It, it's hard to and, and we can't sit here and say definitively that we lead for both those guys, uh, Salyer and Hill. But we're 
clearly in it, very much so in it for both. I'd say we might have a better chance. I, I would say we, more so we lead right now for Hill than I would say Sawyer. Sawyer recently is kind of saying, not, not that he's opening it up, he's very open to it, but he's saying uh, he's probably going to take his his commitment, his recruitment, all the way down to signing day towards the end of the cycle. So that's something we're going to have to be fighting for. But even if he was committed, you still have to fight for these guys, even if they're on your commitment list, because they, they haven't signed anything. But you're right, there's two more guys, both top 50 prospects nationally in the 247 composite rankings that we are in very good shape for. So we're in really, really, really good shape for a lot of guys. We just have to continue to recruit them and land them when it comes time for these guys to make their decisions. I mean, look at the recruiting rankings right now. Yeah, you've got your Clemson's up there. Miami right now is actually number one because they have 13 commitments. But but six of those are three stars right now. So almost half the class are three-star prospects, which which can work out. can be fine. But then you also have, just outside the top 10, you have Kansas at number 11, Northwestern at number 12, Minnesota at number 14. I mean, are those teams going to be in those same spots when, when it comes signing day 2018 next February? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, yes, they're ahead of us right now. Because we're still very much working on getting this class together. But we are very high on the list of a number of elite prospects. And when those guys start to pop and we start to add them to our commitment list, our ranking is going to rise dramatically. So we're fine. I, I know it's, you know, you look at the commitment list and we've got two guys committed right now. And I understand if you're at least moderately concerned by that. I get that. I mean, Alabama right now is number 17 in the rankings. They've got four commitments. All right. Is Alabama going to finish in, at number 17? Hell no, they're not. So let's just chill out. You know, if if we're still sitting on two commitments or you know four or five commits come, I don't know October. Okay, let's let's start freaking out. But let's see how the spring evaluation period goes. Let's see how the summer goes, and let's kind of reevaluate that time. Right now, it is so early. I mean, we're really just a month past the 2017 signing day. So there's plenty of time for us to land some of these guys. And look, we're, we're just on the fringe there of landing some of these big-time prospects that really will start to gain some traction with this class. And this class likely won't be a top-three-ranked class. It's probably not going to be as deep as the 2017 class. But it's still going to be a very good class. I would be shocked if we don't end up in, in the top ten when it's all said and done. In fact, I would probably really be shocked if we didn't end up in the top seven to eight before it's all said and done. If some of the guys that we're heavily after, guys like Zamir White, guys like Britton Cox, if they end up on our commit list sooner rather than later, it would be very surprising to me if we're not inside the top 10. But one more question here about the recruiting class right now. You mentioned Richard LeCount and Jay Fromm, some very vocal recruits that we had committed very early in the process for 2017. Do you think that is, like not having that vocal recruiter for this class is also playing into that somewhat? Um, you know, I don't really think it does, does well. I think it had an impact. I don't know if it, like you said, like, yeah, we have some top players in the state this year, but it's not as deep as it was this past year, which made it that much more important because you needed the in-state guy because you had su- such a big crop of in-state people to pull from where we don't have that same crop where you have a lot of out-of-state guys that we're going to have to go get. Well, while he can still work on them, it doesn't work as well when they're not as close. Do you think those kind of – Prospects, I don't, I don't call them loudmouths. What's the way to say that? Maybe the very vocal members of the recruiting class are actively recruiting other prospects. Do you think they really play that much? Are, are they really that big of a factor in determining where other prospects go? I really don't think it does. I mean, I hate to say it, but as much as as good as you know, as nice it was, as someone like LeCount, you also saw him working really hard on some big time guys who went other places. Aubrey Solomon, one of them. 
Yes. You know, he was he was basically part of the, the, the UGA crew at the Army All-American practices and uh, was wearing Georgia mouthpiece and that kind of stuff. And there were some subtle hints um, thrown out there on social media that he was a guy that, was gonna end up landing, that we were going to end up landing. And, of course, our guys were recruiting him nonstop that entire time. Um, yeah, but I think he actually ended up at Michigan, right? So I think like you can, for all the guys you say, yes, that helped us land them, you can also point and say, well, there's another guy that, that those guys were after just as hard, but we also didn't land him. So, I, I mean, each recruitment's different. Every, every situation has its own circumstances. Uh, I, I would say I'd rather have those guys than not have them. I don't think it hurts you to have those vocal guys, especially when they're high profile like LeCount and Fromm. It also helps uh, the perception of your program nationally. So I, I don't think it hurts you, but I don't think having those vocal guys like that is necessarily going to hinder your ability to put, to put this class together. It helps to a degree, but it's it's not – it's nothing that's going to be uh, the deciding factor when it comes to what this 2018 class ultimately looks like come February 2018. Uh, all right, so let's move on a little bit here. And the next thing I want to talk about is Tracy Rocker. Um, news broke last month. It's been a while now that Tracy Rocker was leaving the program. But what we didn't really know was exactly how that went down. We didn't have really any more information other than that Tracy Rocker was no longer going to be the program. Was it that he resigned? Was it that he was fired? We didn't know. But now it looks like we do indeed have an answer to that question. Because uh, Late last week, I think it was maybe Friday, the news broke. Chip Towers of the AJC, he broke the news that Rocker was indeed fired uh, after uh, Towers uncovered the termination letter that Greg McGarity, athletic director, sent Tracy Rocker. Uh, did that surprise you at all, finding that news out? Um, Not tremendously. I, it didn't surprise me. I mean, let's go back to our conversation that we had about this in the first place. If Tracy Rocker had in, actually resigned and just quit his job, why did he not land somewhere else? Typically, when coaches leave one coaching staff, it's so that they can immediately land a job somewhere else. Usually, it's they make the announcement that, that they're leaving the Georgia coaching staff or whatever staff it is, and oh, and I'm also going to so and so, name the school. That didn't happen with Tracy Rocker. So when you see that, and here the weeks pass by, he still hasn't landed a job somewhere else. It's hard to imagine he just quit his job at Georgia and gave that money up without having somewhere else to land. So to me, that that was a clear indication that he was actually fired in the news. That we just kind of let him kind of save face to a degree. But by digging around, Chip Tower seemed to uncover that. Um, but it really wasn't surprising to me at all. Uh, I guess the next thing to look at here is, Ultimately, why do you think we decided to make that decision? Why is it that we wanted to part ways with Tracy Rocker? I don't know. You know, I think there could be some multiple facts. I don't know if we'll ever know the true reason, but I will say it rumor had it that at one point it has been said, you know, that if you look at the way this new staff is built, a lot of them are these younger guys that are more energetic, that are willing to work the long hours, put the long hours in, everything. You know, they're just grinders, but you never got that feeling from Rocker. Well, I think he... He's a very good position coach. He's not a, a grinder as much in the recruiting aspect of things. He's you know an older guy. Um, he's a little more laid back. He he's not that he doesn't fit in with this. But let's be group. fair. He's landed some big time guys. Now, there are some high profile misses with Derek Brown and Aubrey Solomon most recently. Two guys in state uh, elite defensive tackle prospects and really back to back. Well, at least this past year with Aubrey Solomon, there it was a really a down year. Um, defense tackle-wise in the state. Now, going back to the 2016 class, that was 
we, we had a load of high-level demons to tackle prospects in state. We landed a couple. We got Rochester, you got Tyler Clark, you got Mikhail Carter, but we lose the big fish uh, in Derek Brown. And this year, well, there's a couple guys here and there, but we lose the big fish in Aubrey Solomon. So do you think back-to-back years losing our number one prospect at that position, is that something that Kirby just couldn't stand for anymore? And it's like, look, man, we got to move on. We can't be missing these kind of in-state prospects, especially at that position where those prospects, elite defensive tackles are rare. To, they're hard to find. They are rare, especially in-state. Yeah, I do, I do think that I definitely will sit, I won't sit here and say that it had no impact. I think that did have, you know, it was probably one of the major contributing factors, I will say that. I think it was the factor because I mean like you said he, he's he's done a good job coaching our guys up I mean our defensive line has performed admirably I mean going into last year people were freaking out about our not just our depth of defensive line but our inexperience on the defensive line and uh, the fact that outside of Trent Thompson we didn't really have anyone that a lot of people thought had the potential to really be a major contributor or we thought we'd struggle a lot of people thought we were going to struggle at that position but I, I would say that those guys played very well throughout the year wouldn't you yeah, I really would. Considering the, the inexperience and the youth on that line, from day one they were ready to play. So I, I want to give Tracy Rockers his his fair due when it comes to actually coaching these guys up. But I do think he slipped a little bit the past couple years in recruiting some of these guys. Now let's also be fair. He landed Julian Rochester. You land Tyler Clark. You land Mikhail Carter. Uh, you land Trent Thompson. You know we, we can't forget about Trent. I mean. It's very well documented that Tracy Rocker was a key factor in Trent ending up at Georgia. Maybe he would have ended up here without without uh, Coach Rocker anyway. Who knows? But we know that they had a very close relationship, and he was a big factor in Trent ending up, ending up in Athens. So it's not like he was terrible on the recruiting front. I think you're right in saying that he maybe just didn't fit the mentality that Curry was looking for, right? Yeah. And Kirby wants he wants young, hungry guys, up and coming guys who are just trying to grind, like you mentioned, and make their name. Guys like Glenn Schumann, who just basically is just out there grinding all the time because he's young, he's hungry, he's trying to make a name for himself, he's trying to establish himself in the in the coaching world. And you bring in a guy like Trey Scott, who's very much the same way, uh, young, hungry, personable, can relate to these young guys. That's what Kirby's looking for: guys that will go out there and just. Make this their absolute life. Don't have families at home to really worry about that are okay with being on the road nonstop and making this the main part of their life. So I, I think that really is what it comes down to. It's just a, a fit thing and the fact that he was slipping at least to a degree and missing on some of the high-profile prospects that, that if we want to be an elite program and want to have the type of defense that, that we need to have to compete for national championships, we're just missing on some guys that you just simply can't miss on in-state. Just just can't happen. Um, all right, so let's now move on briefly. Or maybe not so briefly. I don't know. We'll see how, how the conversation goes. But I do want to touch on our struggling baseball program. Uh, and struggling might be putting it nicely right now. The reason I want to I want to bring this up today is I've actually had quite a few people uh, mention this to me on Twitter, just asking me questions about the baseball program and the direction of the program and kind of what we should be doing moving forward. Is there any hope for this program moving forward? Uh, so I, I definitely want to get into this a little bit today. Uh, look, and before we do, I, I want to say this. I still very much support this team and the guys on the team, and, and I always will, because all the guys out there, they are putting it on the line for the G, uh, and that's something that I respect and I will always appreciate. But we have to be fair when discussing this program, too, because it is flat-out ugly right now. I mean, there is no getting around that. Did you happen to see the football game that was played in Baton Rouge on Friday, Kurt? Yeah, we were texting about it on Saturday. I was just incredibly disappointed. You mean what, 22-9? to 9? Was that the final score? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we just couldn't push it across the goal line. I had to settle for three field goals. That's the problem right there. 
Uh, but it's ridiculous, man, and it's it's become uh, a, a pattern. Like it's not just one series here, one game there. It's become a pattern of the year. We're eight and twelve overall. Our non-conference slate was an absolute joke. We played no one of consequence, but we, well, we made it through the non-conference schedule at eight and ten, right before we hit conference play. We opened up conference play at LSU this year, uh, this past weekend, and as we're recording right now, we are down in the seventh. I think it's five to three. Uh, we lost the first game, twenty-two to nine. Um, and then lost yesterday, a little close here. So it was a five to one yesterday we lost. Um, it looks like we're about to get swept uh, on the road at, at LSU, which you know that happens. LSU is a really good team. I think they're ranked number seven nationally right now. Um, so there's no shame in that necessarily, but there is shame in getting beat twenty two to freaking nine. So it's just bad right now. Let me, actually, let me give you a few more numbers, guys, just to illustrate just how rough it's been over the past couple weeks. Like I said, right now we're eight and twelve overall, uh, but. It, it's worse than that. I, I w- if you look at our ERA, right now we are dead last in the SEC with an ERA of 5.44. Our opponent's batting average against our pitchers is also dead last. Makes sense, right? ERA is dead last. Batting average against dead last. Our uh, teams are hitting 261 against our pitching. Uh, our, let's see, we are actually 13th. We're not dead last, so praise the Lord. We're 13th out of 14 teams in the SEC in walks surrendered at 90. And just to give you a little more perspective on that, the next closest team, which is South Carolina, they're 12th in the league in, in uh, walks surrendered. They've only given up 70 walks. We've given up 90. Okay? God, just terrible. Uh, our batting average is, hey, you know, a little bit better. We are 12th out of 14 teams in the league uh, with a 263 batting average. We are also 12th out of 14 teams in the SEC in runs scored with a blistering 98 runs scored over the course of our first 20 games. Let you do the math on what that average is, guys. Uh, our on-base percentage is 12th out of 14th in the league. Uh, we are dead last in fielding percentage, which is not surprising if you've been out to the ballpark and watched our team play this year. It's been pretty dreadful. Uh, and then a couple more things. Just looking at the schedule here real quick. Let me pull this up. Uh, look at the schedule. We lost, two, in case you guys haven't kept up with exactly who we've been playing and how it's fared, we lost uh, the opening series to College of Charleston. We lost 2-3 or three to them. And College of Charleston right now, outside of the two games they beat us, they are 6-9 and nine in all the other games they played this year. They actually outscored us 32-18 to 18 in that series. We've lost twice to Mercer. Uh, we've lost to Kennesaw State. It's a solid program, but come on. We're Georgia. They're Kennesaw State. We shouldn't be losing to them. Uh, a couple weekends ago, or was it last weekend? I think it was last weekend we played Ryder, right? Yeah, that was the yeah, most last weekend. Yeah, Ryder at home. We lost two of three to Ryder. Exactly. Who is that? Um, and Ryder is four and six in all their other games. Uh, and Ryder also had uh, a game against Radford that they lost 18 to nothing. And in, in that Ryder series, Ryder in the first two games of that series against us, they won both of, they scored 19 runs against us in the first two games of that series last weekend. In their first six games combined, Ryder combined to score 18 runs. 18 runs in their first six games combined. They scored 19 against us in two games. That's bad, right? I think that's bad. I don't think that's very yeah. good. Uh, like I said, we gave up 22 runs to LSU in one game. Uh, if In series that we, we have won two series this year, two weekend series. We uh, took two out of three from UAB 
We took two out of three at Georgia Southern, and Georgia Southern uh, we had, we had trouble with them uh, of late. So when we I think Georgia Southern that Georgia Southern series was the second series second weekend series of the year. So I I, I thought hey maybe we're building on this. We, our pitching was kind of picking up a little bit there for a short stretch, but then the bottom just dropped out. It's just it's been bad, man. It's been. It's been really I mean, bad. It's, it's been hard to watch. The LSU game, we get a, we're spotted what four run lead in the first first yep. inning. I yep. mean, and yep. then we go out there, and you know, I was watching some of it, and the guy could just they just can't eat their strikes. No, oh, I tried to watch it, man. I tried, and it's just, I, mean, I, I go out, to, I I go to a lot of the game. I live in Athens, so I'm able to, to make most of the games, and it's just gotten to the point, man. Like it's my hands are covering my eyes more often than not. Well, and see, the most disappointing thing is like we were talking, Tyler and I were talking about it. You know, we have a Friday pitcher who's going to continuously getting lit up. If it's not Ryder, it was LSU. Friday pitcher is supposed to be your best pitcher on the staff, the one that's going to shut everyone down. And yet, we haven't seen that once. Uh, yeah, well, we've kind of gone back and forth on who that Friday pitcher is. I mean, Andrew Gist But that's what I'm saying. The fact is that we can't... We, at this point, right, whoever the Friday pitcher is, is supposed to be your ace. Should have someone. Yeah, it's supposed to be your ace. It's supposed to be your ace. But... I also want to be fair here and say this is an extraordinarily young team. I, if my count is correct, we have one senior on the team. We have one senior. Everyone else is I – mean, most of the rest of the team are freshmen and sophomores. we got a couple of juniors interspersed in there as well. Keegan McGovern's a, a junior. is a really good player for us. Um, but it's a really young team. So does that factor into this? I mean, obviously it's that plays a role in, in kind of how the season's role, played out. At the same time, you don't – I just – I just haven't seen enough. I mean, I get we're relying on some of these freshmen, but if you know, it's not like I could understand this if it was his second or second or third year. Because then you could say, "Oh, he's finally getting his players in," but we're not there. Was there any reason to believe this team can turn it around this year? Because this is a young team. You want to think that teams can grow as a, as the as the year progresses, especially one that's as young as we are, as we get a little more experience. I don't think so because I think the lack of pitching is only going to get worse the more we get into the SEC schedule. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we the, the problem is, look, we we can't pitch and we can't hit. Like, I mean, it's it's as simple as that. We can't score and we can't stop other teams from scoring. Our ERA, I mean, again, guys, five four four ERA as a team right now, as a team, and that's that's through our, a very weak non-conference slate, a very weak non-conference slate. All right, we've he, see our uh, the coach was trying to pad the pad the record right because he knew we, and it was smart like he knew that we were young and we were in a struggle early on so you wanna you wanna have a a non conference schedule that's not as daunting as it has been in the past when we played teams like uh, Florida State with teams like that early on the schedule um, so I, I get that and that's smart but when you schedule week and you still end up eight and ten before you enter SEC play. I don't know how you can say you have hope for the rest of the season. Like, I want to believe. I really do, man. And I hate this kind of discussion. I hate having the dog in our program. But right now, like, something, we've, something's got to change, man. Like, we've got to turn this around quickly. And I just don't think it's going to be this season. Do you? No. Uh, I, and not only do I not see, see it being the season, but I'm just going to come out straight and say it, that I just don't see – I haven't seen the development from this coach. Well, it's year four. Okay, well – uh, but he, well, let's say this: he he's put together a top five recruiting class recently. Do you not try to give him a little bit of time for those guys to grow up and mature before you pull the plug on what he's trying to do here? Like at least let him see it through with a, with this class that he's put together. It's a, it's a very talented, it's a young class right now, obviously, but very talented. Yeah, I get that, but I, the question also arises that can you afford to, if in case the program possibly gets into a worse shape? <laughs> 
Well, well how can we? To... Like, is, is there is there down from here? Can, is there any way that we can go down from where we are right now? Because it it's atrocious, man. Like, it's been, it's well, not just a one year thing. Far, farther by putting us even farther behind in development stakes, and then that puts you three, four years back even more. Where if you're able to bring in a, a good coach, who while you said we have a very, we had a high top five recruiting class, then he has talent to to develop. You don't but but don't you want to give Strickland the chance to try to try to develop that time? Because the first couple of years he's working with the guys that were left to him. Okay. Well, and, yeah, but you still. The thing was, I ha, I have not seen development out of him. But they're but they're young right now. You, don't you have to give him time to develop? I'm not talking about for just this class, but the, the the jobs he's done before. Yeah, they weren't his players, but still, coaches should be able to develop players that are players. That's the that's what they're hired to, and the, you you have to develop more than just your type of players. I agree. That's I mean, it's the same, thing as, the same thing as you say in football, where you know, where you say you're, where you know, you get on the thing where Kirby, you know, talking about defense, well, how you wanted him to kind of run some different things to fit the system for the guys in there, because you know, it's not fair to try to change everything and be terrible for them. So I think it's the same thing that you know he should have been trying to develop them in ways to make them better. I mean, I can't really argue with that. I mean, at some point, there's got to be development in the program, and we we simply have not seen that. I mean, we didn't even make the SEC tournament two years ago. We haven't made a regional since the 2011 season. I mean, at this point, if you, I mean, it's you, this does no good whatsoever. But do you still would you still say it was the right move to fire Perno, seeing how the last four years have gone? Not really, because um, you know, I think at this point he had a couple bad years, but before that he had a better history of being productive. Well, yeah, I mean, he was within one game of winning a college world series, of winning a national championship. Uh, but he did kind of fade towards the end there. I mean, he had a couple well, think, of bad I years. Think, I think that was he had some bad misses where, you know, maybe he But that's still his to... job. He missed on no, them. No, no, no. That's what I was saying. I said, if anything, he needed to, you know, change his recruiting habits. But And I have to say one thing that doesn't help with the Perno thing ever is, I mean, the fact that, you know, now he's coaching high school football. If he was that good of a coach, you'd think he would have possibly, you know, landed somewhere else. But he's also an Athens native, and he, I mean, got family. You want to stay around your family, stay in Athens. I mean, I, I get that to I mean, a degree. I get that. I mean, he, he could have gotten a baseball job somewhere else. Maybe not at a Division One school like he wants or a Power Five school, but I, I would have to. I, I would feel like David Perner would have gotten a job somewhere. Yeah, I agree. I just think it just it also looks bad though for looks. Sake, well, it's not I'm a good saying. look. Yeah, I mean, I, I I live in Athens, so when and I teach, I used to teach in Clark County, so when I heard the news that. That uh, David Perno was announced as the new head football coach at Clark Central. At, f- at first, I honestly thought it was a joke. Like I, I didn't take it seriously at all. And then as the day progresses, seeing a couple more places, and I'm like, oh, this is a real thing. Like, oh, okay, that's about the weirdest news I've ever heard. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's just really hard to go back and, and say in retrospect. But Regardless, the last four years have not been anything near what we wanted. And you you know you're probably going to struggle a year or two after you uh, move on from a coach. Um, but it's it hasn't gotten any better, and it's year four. And I, I usually like, like – I know it's midseason. I typically like to wait until the end of the season before we begin any of this kind of talk so we can see how everything plays out, especially when you have a team this young that's still clearly growing. I really like to see how everything plays out. But I think there's a case to be made right now that – it's it's almost just time to go ahead and cut bait. I mean, can you make that argument? Like, just go ahead and do it at midseason. I think you know. I think there. I'm also gonna say I think there is an argument to be made because you look what happened when we did fire Perno. We waited so long that the fact was that we couldn't 
that that whole recruiting class was over. Where if we wait again to the well, Strickland was a big name. He was a hot name. When we got him out of Kent. I mean, he took Kent State to the College World Series. Oh, I get that, but I'm saying the fact of the matter is though it put us behind in recruiting because you don't have a chance to get recruiting because you, you're more or less getting hired after high school ends. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's the firing coaches before the years out business, especially when a team is this young. That's that's just tough for me to to be on board with because you. Maybe and like we said, that we don't feel like there's much hope this team's going to turn around this season. But maybe they could, don't you? I mean, I feel like you want to give them that opportunity to grow with this team and just see. But at all, I mean, I have a lot of people on Twitter right now. They're just calling for go ahead and just cut ties right now. And I can't sit here and say that I don't at least somewhat understand where you're coming from. And yeah, I, I totally see, see I mean, that I'm argument. just, I'm just making the case for if you were going to fire him. If you wait too long, then that puts you in recruiting class. Where if you were able to hire someone that may be a hot name, you know, at least at least have an idea or something, then it doesn't completely put you behind in recruiting to where, you know, maybe you can land a decent class this year to put with your top five class last year. So there's, you know, there's not a huge difference in talent between the two, between the two. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's just tough for me at this point. Cause I, he, he's obviously, he can recruit. But I'll, say this, he, I'll say this. I have no faith in Greg McGarity to hire a good coach. Like Exactly. That's another point right there. I, cause you know, and look, I can't confirm this, but living in Athens, I know a few people that are close to baseball program, um, and there is some conversation. Again, I cannot confirm this with any level of certainty whatsoever, but um, the Virginia baseball coach, Brian O'Connor, there was some conversation that he was actually interested in our job uh, when we hired Strickland. But McGarity did not want to wait until after the end of the College World Series, because Virginia was in the College World Series. And McGarry did not want to wait until the end of the World Series to, to bring a guy in. So he went ahead and went with Strickland. And from what I understand, I'm pretty sure Strickland was the only guy we, we interviewed for that job. Again, I cannot confirm that at all. But from a few sources that know more about this stuff than I do, that I just happen to, uh, to know, they pretty much assure me that Strickland was the only guy that was interviewed. And I just have a problem with that. Like... Don't don't you don't you have a problem with interviewing one guy for our baseball I do. job? Like, I get why well, I get that you know he was like you, you said, have a, a I mean you have a target, uh, right? I mean you 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 have a number one target. I mean all coaches it's very cliche. All athletic directors always have that list right in their in their desk drawer, uh, a list of all the guys that they want to hire. Something happens to our coach, whether he has to be fired, he moves on, whatever happens. But you just interview one coach, really? I mean I, I'm not an athletic director, so I don't know exactly how that process is going to work, but. When you have a guy the caliber of Brian O'Connor of Virginia, man, that's a really that that really you're not going to interview him if that's if that is indeed what happened, and you're just going to interview one guy and strictly go with him, and then four years later, boom, look at where we are. Whew, I don't know, I don't know. Well, why ha- for you? What is the issue with? Why hasn't this worked out with Strickland? Because he was very successful at Kent State. Like I said, took that program to the College World Series. A program with essentially no tradition whatsoever. So the guy at some point knew how to coach, and I have to believe that he didn't just forget. Like I know that's cliche to say, but he didn't forget how to coach. So why hasn't it worked out here? Well, I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think first off, you have to look at the conference season now. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition in the southeast across the board for players, and other teams are ahead of us right now. But what um, state? Uh, name one state in the southeast that has more baseball talent than Georgia. Florida. More baseball talent? You think Florida has more baseball talent than Georgia? I don't know about that. Maybe. I would I would say that because they're able to play more closer to year-round than we are right now. 
I don't know, man. There's a okay. Maybe there's an argument made. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's an argument made there, but it's hard to find a state in the southeast with, well, with mean, much more argument, talent. But I'm saying, than Georgia. I, I know, I know you're saying they're from the state of Georgia, but they're electing to go to different schools. Right, and I'm that's saying. the problem. Like, wh- why is this happening? Well, I'll say one thing. One big thing you hear that's you know very common is that players just don't get along with Strickland. I have heard there's that. Discon- I, 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 I was going to try to not bring that into this conversation because I can't really confirm that. And I don't want to just throw something out there like that about a guy's reputation if I can't really back that up. But there are whispers out there about that, that he has trouble relating to the guys and they don't particularly care for him and he doesn't necessarily treat them as well as some other coaches treat their players. But, I mean, how how unusual – that's not all that unusual. I mean – I mean, there are plenty of coaches who are successful that are, let's say, rough around the edges and can be hard to get along with. I guess I kind of had trouble wrapping my head around why his success at Kent State didn't translate to Georgia when we have so many resources in the state in terms of the raw talent. Now, I will say our baseball facilities are an absolute joke. I, I think that's a big problem for us right now. If you look around the SEC at the ballparks in this league, like, we are at the bottom of that list. I mean, seriously, South Carolina, palatial. Arkansas, palatial. Ole Miss, palatial. LSU, palatial. I mean, I've, I've been to all these campuses and seen all these baseball facilities, and I'm like just in awe, like, oh, my God. You have that, and we have Foley Field? I mean, and we put a little lipstick on the pig a couple years back, but didn't really do anything. I mean, it's 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 an absolute joke. So I think when you're talking about elite prospects, don't you think that factors into it as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, the facilities, and, and it's not just the facilities themselves, but it's the perception that it creates, the commitment that your athletic administration has to baseball, where it's a big deal. I mean, it is it is an absolute event at South Carolina to go watch a baseball game. It's not that way in Athens. It hasn't been for a while. There was a little, there was a stretch there when I was in college during the, the, the Perno years when we were making College World Series, and right after I graduated in, what was it, 08, when we made the run and lost to Fresno State in the finals. I mean, it, it was a big deal then, but it hasn't been that way for a while because we haven't been winning. So, I, But I, I, I still say, if we start winning, people are going to come out and watch because people want a good baseball product. We just haven't had it for a while. So let's wrap this up. Was I hearing you right? You want? You think it's time to, to move on from Strickland? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Barring a turnaround? Hard to argue against your position right now. I'll just leave it at that. I think it's it's hard to argue against that right now because we should be better. Georgia should be better than where we are right now at baseball and really all sports. But uh, it's just some something's got to change. And I hope we hope Strickland can turn it on. I really do hope that Strickland can turn it around sincerely. But right now, I just don't know if we've seen the evidence to suggest that's going to be the case. Just don't know. All right, guys. So that'll do us for today. Thank you for listening to the Glory UJ podcast. Check back with us later this week. We'll be talking uh, basketball. We're going to wrap up the basketball season and particularly focus on Mark Fox and whether or not he is the guy that should lead our program moving forward. So check back with us later this week. We'll have that show for you here on Dog Sports Radio. You can also check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, all of those. So. Send in all the questions you guys have for our listener mailbag show next week. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at glory uh, UGA podcast at gmail.com. All right, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs.